Hi, I'm Karen Osborne, and this is Living in the Sandwich Zone, a place where each week we talk all things parenting, caregiving, juggling life, and reclaiming joy. Hey there, welcome back to Living in the Sandwich Zone. For those of you who are regular listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking with me. And if you're just new here checking in, um, welcome to you too. Today, we're talking about memory. And I know that, I know for our family and many of my dear friends, we have loved ones who have received a diagnosis of some type of dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's or vascular dementia or some type of diagnosis that affects memory. And as caregivers, it adds another layer of complexity and emotion to caregiving. So today I have the pleasure of sharing with you a conversation that I had with geriatric social worker, Rina Yudkowski. Rina is a professional memory coach and the founder of Memory Matters, an online resource that empowers midlifers and others to improve their memory and build confidence through proven techniques and strategies. Not only does Rina give amazingly good tips and insights and information, she also gives hope. And I think that that's something that is sometimes hard to come by when you're caregiving for your loved one who is deteriorating, we don't always think about the hopeful side of dementia. And Rena, Rena shares a lot of positive information, I think, as well as dealing with some of the heavier issues like the guilt and the sadness and the grief of caring for a loved one who has deteriorating memory. We also touch on the fear, um, the fear about having someone in our family that is suffering from dementia and the fear of whether that condition will be something that we ourselves will have to contend with later down the line. Now, just a couple weeks ago, I'll share this story with you. Just a couple weeks ago, I ran into a friend from work. Now, mind you, I haven't been back to work for that that long, but most certainly this was someone I should have remembered their name. And I couldn't. I couldn't think of their name. And we're having this conversation. And it was definitely one of those situations where I knew, I knew the person well enough to know that it wasn't, it wasn't possible. I could not possibly say, remind me of your name because I should have known. And as we're walking and talking, I'm just like constantly, there's like this wheel turning in my head. What's, what's their name? What's their name? What's their name? And I, I could think of the first letter of the name, but I could not for the life of me come up with the name until near the end of the conversation, I snuck a glance at their ID and I was like, oh yes, that's it. 
But it made me pause and ponder, is this, you know, just a fleeting lapse of memory or is this something more serious? So I know that a lot of people have similar interactions, but today our conversation will delve into the topic of dementia, caregiving for someone with dementia, those feelings of fear as a caregiver or a child of someone with dementia. And also we'll talk about prevention, the things that we can do to prevent ourselves from getting dementia. So here's my conversation with geriatric social worker, Rena Yudkowsky. Welcome to the Sandwich Zone. I mean, I think that this whole experience and connecting with you um, is tapping into a lot for me. As my parents are aging and as I'm talking to friends who have aging parents, your expertise, I think, is very timely for what we're all going through. So I think it would be great to just start and have you share a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you came to do it. Great. Thank you so much for having me here, Karen. It's a pleasure. Um, Okay, so I'm a geriatric social worker, and here's the way I tell the story, how I got into this. Uh, When I was a teenager, all my friends went to camp, and I didn't want to go to camp, so I went to the nursing home to volunteer, and I loved it. I fell in love with working with seniors. I must have been 15 or 16 years old, and it's very unusual for 15-year-olds to love working with seniors, I think. Uh, but I loved it, and I kept going back. Every summer, I would, I, would, I would work with a recreational therapist in the nursing home. I would sing, and I would dance. We'd play bingo and arts and crafts, and I just loved it. So I kept doing that. And then when I had to choose a career, I had no other interests except for gerontology, geriatrics, working with seniors. But we're going back like 25 years. And 25 years ago, gerontology was not as big a field. So there weren't so many degrees that I could get. So I actually ended up going for a bachelor's in sociology because there was a concentration in gerontology in Towson State University, up from Baltimore originally. Um, and then I went on for a master's degree in social work where I concentrated on clinical aging. So it was a lot about aging and caring for aging um, people. And the clinical piece, we had like a choice. We could do clinical or administrative. So I chose clinical. So that way I was getting a social work degree, but I got to specialize with, uh, with seniors. And after that, my first job at a graduate school, so I did that very fast. I did my college education very fast because I just wanted to finish and work. Um, so I did as fast as I could actually. Well, it's funny so you I say was, that because I think that when you know what you want to do, yeah, exactly. the college experience is kind of like, okay, yeah, 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 let's get it already. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was like very young. I finished, I was like 23 and I had my master's in social work. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So my, yeah. So my first job out of graduate school was I was the head of an Alzheimer's department in an assisted living facility. So at the age of 23, with very little managerial experience, I was hiring and firing staff. <laughs> well, you know, okay, so, so you talk about this experience working yeah. in the Alzheimer's unit. I know yeah. that my um, close circle of friends, a number of us have had experiences where their parents are suffering either from Alzheimer's or yeah. memory loss, yeah. um, dementia in some form. And really yeah. it, 
it really is a scary thing. I think it, it is. It's one of those situations where you end up losing and grieving your loved one before they're actually gone. And that's painful in and of itself. Very, very. There's a huge, huge fear component because you see your parent declining yeah. and not being able to engage with the world. And then I think our own mortality comes into play. Yes. And you think, is that what is in store for me? Okay. So, so talk about the fear part yeah. of it. Okay. I have a lot to say. So first of all, there's a term called anticipatory grief. Have you ever heard that? Yes. Yeah. Anticipatory yes. grief is sort of like what you were just describing. Like I'm losing a parent to dementia. They're sort of tuning out. They don't really know what's going on. They might not even know who I am. And it's very painful. And it's a slow goodbye process, basically. Right. Now that parent could be 70, 80, 90, doesn't matter the age. Um, they're still a parent and it's still extremely painful to watch that process. Now, some people, you know, sort of embrace it. They jump in there. They're the caregivers. They want to just do everything for their parents. And they just um, either put their feelings aside or learn to deal. And some people cannot face it. I had right. a woman tell me today that she basically said goodbye to her mother a year ago because her mother has dementia. She doesn't know who she is anymore, her daughter. And she said, I basically said goodbye to my mother a year ago. She cannot face being there. She, she does stuff for her mother. She does all the bureaucratic stuff and filling out forms and papers and all that. So, so she cares for her mother in the way that she can. But what, so I want to say a few things. First of all, just, a, just an approach that I learned when I worked in that Alzheimer's unit that helped me so much that could also help family caregivers going through this. Our attitude was, uh, or the, the slogan was create a pleasant day, create a pleasant day. So you're not trying to get these people to remember everything they forgot. You're not even trying to get them to dress themselves if they can't, you know? You know, um, as you say that, it, <laughs> I, I, I get goosebumps yeah. because it's not only just for a parent who has Alzheimer's, yeah. that create a pleasant day is like what I feel like we should all be doing exactly every day. Like if you can keep that as a slogan over your head, that's it. The goal is create a pleasant day. So it takes the pressure off of you. Yeah. It takes the pressure off your expectations of your parent who can't do certain things anymore. It's okay. It's okay. I tell you, it makes me emotional. It's very emotional. It's very emotional. Um, and that's what professionals are for, you know, like we sort of step in when um, alongside the family caregivers, but a lot of times it's really just too, too painful and challenging. And that's where the professionals come in. And we don't have that subjectivity. It's not our parents. So therefore I can take care of them without that fear and grief. Um, and that's, that's the advantage of a professional, you know, but obviously fam no one can, no one takes the place of family caregivers. I'm just right. saying that well, the professionals have that objectivity and we can do it without you know, the 80 years of history. <laughs> well, you know, um, so in terms of creating that pleasant day, yeah. let's go to that for a minute. Because yeah. Yeah. Let's, I, I think this is a really helpful slogan because, so what does it mean? It might mean, it might mean just flipping through some pictures with them as simple mm -hmm. as flipping through pictures. It might mean just bringing them a warm tea that has a really nice smell. I mean, this happens to be That's lemon. But it could be, kind of yeah. Mm -hmm. It might be as simple as a hand massage. You just take their hand and massage their hand for them. Um, 
In fact, last night I actually did a Facebook Live in my group called Memory Matters. Um, um, and uh, I was interviewing a reflexologist who works with dementia. It's called Hands on Dementia. She was showing us the point that helps calm people down and relax on the hand. It's as simple as this. It's in between, in between um, the finger and your third and fourth finger. Right down here, you slide your finger down to the middle, like the solar plexus, and just press in there. Relax your hand. You press in the middle there. And just helps calm you down. And you you can do this with a, someone who has dementia. And just it feels good. You just massage them a little. So it, it could be like, a simple, so just like simple, simple, pleasant experiences. And, the and it helps lower the frustration um, of of the caregivers. And you know, you're not having big expectations. You don't have to, uh, you know, do crazy activities with them that they can't do anymore. You lower it. It just create a pleasant day. Simple. Turn on the music. Dance with them for a few minutes. It's funny that you you mentioned the music. The music. I have. I have a very dear family friend, um, whose wife has advanced Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. and is in a care facility. And I ran into him a couple of weeks ago, and he shared with me that their son went to visit and took some sheet music from church yeah. and that they played and sang music and Beautiful. it just lit her up and it just, yeah. you know, I, I music, music I does something in the brain. It doesn't mean for the brain. So especially for people with dementia and they, they might not have a lot of cognition left, especially we're dealing with, you know, people that are far along in their dementia process. Um, music is extremely therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people, they can't tell you the time of day or the day or the year. They could, they could sing you a song from 75 years ago. Well, that's what he <laughs> that's said. He said all the time. All the words. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. Enlivened. So. Yeah. yeah. So, so that I think is helpful. The present day is just the simple slogan. If you, if you keep that in mind, that's, that's your only goal. Your only goal is to create a pleasant day for that loved one. And it could be different, you know. For your mom and your dad, it might be two different pleasant days. Your mom might want to go for a walk, but your dad might not want to get out of the chair or can't get out of the chair. So sometimes you have to be creative, but think senses. Think, think what would they like to see? What would they like to smell? What would they like to hear? What would they like to touch? Something mm-hmm. fuzzy, something soft. Um, if, if they like to build, you might just want to bring maybe not a very dangerous hammer, maybe a small hammer and some wood and just watch them. You know, you don't want to get, you don't want them to hurt themselves, but you know, watch them bang on a piece of wood if they, if that's what they enjoy. Um, So you have to be creative and, and figure out what they, what they always enjoyed and how to bring that back into their life in very small ways. So create a pleasant day. And then in terms of the fear, let's talk about the fear of the caregiver. Um, There's a lot of that. And I think there's a lot lot of fear. fear. And it's inextricable with guilt. You know, you share that that person, you know, said, I said goodbye to my mother and I'm just doing what I can do because there is a level of boundary setting that you have to engage with to preserve your own well-being. Yeah. And that leads to a lot of guilt. Yes. 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 So, um, Obviously, there's also, we have to talk about self-care there. Oh, yeah. Huge <laughs> self-care. About the fear. So the fear. So if we operate out of fear, so if you're taking care of your mom or dad and they say something that triggers your fear, how are you going to react? Not as patiently as you would like to, right? Right. 
So that means that the issue is not with them, really. The issue is with us. And we can't control what they're going to say, but we can control how we're going to react. So we want to react. I'm assuming we want to react gently, positively, mm-hmm. and kindly. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, we got to deal with our own fear first, right? So, so what's most helpful, I find, is um, understanding a few things about dementia and about our, you know, our likelihood of getting dementia and what we're seeing. So we look at our mom or dad that has dementia, let's say they're 20 or 30 years older than us. And we say, I do not want to end up like that. And you say, well, what can I do? And you say, well, if they have it, I might have the genetics, the genes for it. So let me just tell you right now what, what the neurologists are all saying. And it's very hopeful, very empowering information, research, really. Um, you know, so 30 years ago, if you would have asked me, I, you know, if I have the gene for dementia, am I going to get it? 30 years ago, I would have said yes. But today, that's not what the neurologists are saying. Today, so what, what is the new research? New research is that 90% of the cases are not genetic. 90% of the cases are not genetic. Wow. Only 10% are, which means that in, they believe, and I've heard very top neurologists say this, the 90% of the cases could be either prevented or treated because we're finding that most of the risk factors for dementia are either preventable or treatable. Okay. Well, let's I'll give you one right example. There. Yeah. Let us give you one example right there because you are saying some, yeah. some big gems here. Yes. Yes. I think the preconceived notion is that if a parent has dementia, that there's a high probability that their children will, will develop as well. But what you're saying is quite the contrary, that there Correct. are a lot of lifestyle changes and things that we can Mostly. do. It's, we're giving most of the credence to lifestyle factors as opposed to genes. Um, so, for example, obesity. Obesity is a risk factor for many diseases but and dementia as well. But if we can lose weight and, you know, um, deal with the obesity, then we're lowering our risk factor, that risk factor for dementia. And if we could do that for a boom, 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 let's say the nine risk factors for dementia, we're lowering our chance of getting dementia. Okay. So let, what are those nine risk factors? Okay. And let's talk about how to, uh, yeah. how to blow so, them out of the water. Okay. So yeah. So it's um, obesity, smoking, frailty. So what's going to help frailty? What helps frailty is us staying strong when we're younger. So in our 30s, 40s, 50s, we want to be exercising. So if I'm going to tell you one thing that you want to remember from tonight, it's at any age, you need to be exercising because when you exercise, it creates a growth factor in the brain. It's called BDNF. BDNF is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's growth factor in the brain. So just like when you pour water on a plant, it makes it grow. When you exercise your brain, it makes it grow. It makes more BDNF. So if you want to do one thing right now for your brain, get up and do some jumping jacks or march in place or go walk around the neighborhood. We all need to be exercising. And we're hearing this and we're seeing this in the research, but I'm, I'm connecting now specifically to the brain and specifically to dementia. Um, there's so much research on exercise and the brain. Um, they say that there's, they say that if it, there's one thing that all the doctors, neurologists, psychiatrists and psychologists and all the doctors agree on, we can't agree on anything, but there's one thing they agree on. And that is exercise increases your chances of longevity. Yeah. So that's the exercise piece. So, that, so a frailty, obesity, smoking, um, carotid, uh, carotid um, artery, artery, narrowing, all the, the stroke, everything that causes that stuff. So 
we want to prevent all those things. How do we do it? Diet, exercise. I'm just going to throw out a bunch of stuff. Diet, exercise, sleep is huge. Sleep. Sleep clean oh. toxins from our brain. When we sleep at night, we consolidate the memories of the day and it cleans out the toxins. So whatever you breathed in or ate that wasn't good for you, mm-hmm. I don't know about eating. I mean, it doesn't get rid of every, all the junk you ate, obviously, but um, it's going to clear out the toxins. So sleep, sleep and- is so elusive. Crucial. It's like, you know, know. it's this cycle, right? You talk about the fear. You talk about the guilt. It's all those things that keep you awake at night. I know. I know. And so it's really trying to dial down that yeah. so that you can get a restful night. It's You cannot compare, um, you know, when you wake up in the morning after having slept seven or eight hours to when you have slept three or four hours. We all know that we, our cognition goes down if we've slept three or four hours. Absolutely. Now, there are people that are caregiving for their elderly parents who don't sleep at night. And that's like a whole nother issue that I would have, you know, I could help people one-on-one with It's a whole nother episode. It, it's a whole nother. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of issues for where you're actually living with the person caregiving 24 seven. That's like heavy and intense, but I have lots, I, I have lots of help for that also. In any case, so sleep is huge. Um, so we're talking about diet, exercise, sleep, um, cognitive stimulation, making mm-hmm. sure you're using your brain properly. So at any age, if you sit in front of the TV all day, your brain's going to turn to mush. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, or 90, you can't sit in front of a, a, a screen all day. You need to be active and engaged. Next so logo. Like okay. Sudoku and the word Wordle and all those things. Come it's in. all good. It's all good. But what's even better is real live experiences, being with people. So, for example, dancing. Dancing, you are exercising. You are with people. And you are using coordination which is part of the brain memory to remember the steps um so for example dancing is a real life experience where you're it's beneficial because for so many reasons you're with people you're moving your body and here's a great saying when your body moves your brain grooves when your body moves your brain grooves grooves means grows right so dancing is much better than sitting and playing wordle <laughs> now wordle's good wordle's gonna work work your brain but you shouldn't be doing that for three hours a day you want to be with people. You want to be engaged, yeah. active and engaged, active and engaged. Okay? okay. That is the goal, active and engaged at any age. But especially if we're talking about um, trying to avoid getting dementia, trying not to fall into that trap. It's very important at a, to prevent this at an early stage. We're, we're talking preventive because we're talking to the children, right, of the people with dementia that are caregiving. And they're scared. So we want to be really having a much healthier lifestyle we don't want to be eating all the junk that, you know, our parents might have eaten because they didn't know better. They really, we didn't know better so many years ago. As you're talking, what's coming up for me is like, again, sort of striking that fear chord. When I look to our kids and the younger yeah. generation who yeah. are inextricably linked to the gadgetry, yeah. eating a ton of processed food. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, we really need to overhaul our life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be their job to do. You can't do that for them. You can only worry about yourself so you can age healthfully. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. if you're a good role model, guess what they're going to see? Right. And that's so true. That is so, so true. So if you're yeah. exercising and you're sleeping well, your kids are going to be, oh, mom, mom sleeps seven hours at night. Mom goes to sleep at 10 o'clock at night instead of one o'clock in the morning. Oh, like certain things you don't even have to say to them. If you model, if you model eating, you know, a big salad at every meal or at least once a day, they're going to see that you're not eating hamburgers and fries for, you know, for dinner. 
Um, so we're role models. We're role models. Um, so yeah, the sugar and processed food is really bad for our brain. We need to get rid of that. Um, so we're talking, and, and, the, and then the social social stimulation, being with people, it's so important at every age. And unfortunately, COVID has really, really, really done us in here because we've been so isolated, and so many people are complaining to me of cognitive decline because of the isolation. Right. So even if they've been on Zoom, which is good, Zoom is good, but it's not real live. Um, in real life stimulation connection. So one thing yeah, though, that you have managed to do in this age of the pandemic and through yeah. Zoom yeah. is to offer certain training to help with memory and yeah. cognitive resilience. So yes. Tell about yes. that. Yes. Okay. So I I was teaching my courses live. I actually live in Israel, so I was teaching my courses live in Israel. And I decided I wanted to put them online. And I did this a couple months before COVID, having no idea what Zoom was or what that COVID was coming. And I started with, you know, a website and I decided I wanted to teach my courses online. Um, and then and then COVID hit and everyone went online. Like everyone went on to Zoom, including, you know, the 80 and 90 year olds. <laughs> everyone went on to Zoom and all the senior programs all over the world were looking for good programming. So I've been doing webinars all over the world for senior groups. I've been doing one-on-one memory assessments and coaching with seniors really all over the world. And I, t- I got my courses online and I had people from three different countries in my course. The first time I taught it, I had people from three different countries in my course. Um, my, my memory matters signature course is all about memory. So it's how memory works, um, why, why we forget, like what, what causes the forgetfulness. How do you know that it's normal or not normal? Um, all the techniques, the techniques to remember names, numbers, and lists of items. Stop and then, real quick, yeah. because let's talk a little bit about how you nor- know it's normal or not yeah. normal. So I am experiencing, yeah, and I think a lot of people are, that I could literally leave this room that I'm sitting yeah. in to yeah. go get something in the kitchen. And by I the know. time I get to the kitchen, I'm like, what did I come here for? I have yeah. no recollection of what I went for. Now, okay. I think I'm I'm having a lot of overwhelm in my life. There are a lot of plates spinning, a lot of things wobbling and, and in disarray. Yeah. Is that because of the chaos in life or is it an early sign of something that I need to worry about? It is not an early sign. The good news is that that is focus. Let me explain to you what happened. You said, I need the milk from the fridge. You got up and walked to the fridge. What happened in that walking your mind went, oh, I need to pay that bill. I need to send that email. I need to go check on my mom. And I need, how many thoughts went through your head? So you go to the fridge and you go, what did I come here for? Because your, your mind distracted your mind. Right. Right. <laughs> you distracted yourself. Or your phone rang. And that was an external distraction. Or the doorbell rang. So you get to the fridge. It's not a memory issue. So I'll just give you the quick solution. It's really a silly solution, but it works. The silly solution is you think I need milk from the fridge. And you say milk, 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 milk till you get to the fridge. What are you doing? You're making yourself stay focused on one task at a time because we multitask. We do way too many things at once. Way too many things at once. Is multitasking even possible? You know, I've heard that people say multitasking is really just doing, switching between tasks very quickly. Exactly. And it's not good for you. It's not good for your brain. It trips up your brain. It makes you less creative. 
and it actually lowers your IQ temporarily by 15 points. Yeah. So you want to start multitasking. Yeah. Temporarily. It temporarily lowers your IQ. You know, I just recently heard the the term solo tasking and, (laughs) you know, and it's all about focusing on one thing at a time. And if you can do it, which is really hard for all of us because we're ADD and we're so distracted by all our phones and notifications and timers and alarms and LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and you name it, we're so distracted. So it's really hard for us to multitask. But if we can do it, I can almost guarantee you, you will find you're having a better memory because it's not your memory, it's your focus. So we blame our Memory almost really focused, but if we can stay focused and mindful, that's another keyword, mindful. If the reason you put your keys down, go do something else and don't know where your keys are is not because you didn't remember it. It's because you're not being mindful of putting your keys down. Mm-hmm. So I do a whole webinar called, what did I come to the fridge for? That's what it's called. It's called, what did I come to the fridge for? And it's four techniques to improve focus and concentration. And guess what number one is? Number one is stop multitasking. Mm. So when there's a saying when you're always online you're always distracted you know, like when you have 10 windows open and keep switching back and forth you don't finish any tasks because you're distracting yourself you're allowing yourself to get distracted and that's the constant it's, scrolling thing too exactly yeah exactly. it's not good for our brains it's really not yeah so that's the first thing is to stop multitasking and people say but i can't i'm so busy da, 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 da. right but that's why you're forgetting where your keys are Mm-hmm. You're forgetting to, you know, put the lasagna in the fridge and leaving it out on the counter. Um, you know, you can't find your phone because you can't remember where you put it. It's not that you can't remember where you put it. You didn't pay attention to where you put it in the first yeah. place. Wow. So the mindfulness piece, we're just so distracted these days. We live in a very distracted world. And we need to come back to the centering, to the slowing it down and um, really paying attention to what we're doing. You know, when you eat and read the newspaper, so are you enjoying your food no yeah, because you're reading it's newspaper. mindless it it's mindless. mindless shoveling yeah but we end up eating more mm-hmm. we end up not enjoying the food and then later if i ask you what you ate for breakfast you're gonna say i have no idea what i ate for breakfast there's some days I'm... where i get to the middle of the day i'm like did i have breakfast right and and only after making lunch i'm like oh yeah i did <laughs> i did have breakfast because where was your mind your mind was either scrolling through your phone or reading the newspaper or talking on the phone we're just so used to doing more than one thing at a time, but it trips our brain up. It's not good. They did research in the workplaces and they found that like secretaries who did try to do so many things at once, they actually made double the amount of mistakes. Mm. And that also explains why it's so dangerous to be talking on a cell phone while driving because your brain cannot do those two tasks well. Yeah. Yeah. At the same nanosecond. So what are the, what are the other, the other, you said, you said, Stop multitasking. What are the other three things? So um, I actually have an acronym called TEAS, T-E-A-S. So T stands for task, one task at a time. Okay. E stands for environment. Your environment has to be conducive to learning and remembering. So if you have tons of clutter on your desk and there's lots of noise in the background and your phone's dinging all the time um, and the lighting's not good, your environment is not conducive to your remembering. So if you're reading a newspaper article and you want to remember what you're reading, but there's tons of background noise and the dog's barking and the baby's crying and the doorbell's ringing, you're not going to remember what you're reading because there's too many distractions. So your environment is not conducive. That's the E. E is environment. I'll go through it quickly because I I do a whole webinar on this. So I'll go through it quickly because these are very helpful. The A is automatically. 
don't do things automatically. When you come in and automatically throw your keys down, that's mindless. You have no idea what you just did because you did it automatically. So instead of doing it automatically, we want to do it mindfully. So the A stands for automatically, and we don't want to do things automatically. Okay. You're doing it mindfully instead. And of, of course, there's lots of ways to bring mindfulness into our lives. It's a practice like everything. Right. And the S is senses. The more senses you use to encode a memory, the more likely it is you'll remember it. Which goes back so, to creating the pleasant day. Exactly. 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 Wow. Exactly. So when I'll just give you one quick tip for your phone. When you put your phone down, instead of putting it down and not knowing where you put it down because your hand put it down and your brain was not engaged, now you're going to say out loud, I put my phone on the coffee table. You're engaging the sense of hearing, of auditory. You're hearing yourself say it. I am now putting the phone on the coffee table. So in an hour when you go looking for your phone or in 10 minutes when you go looking for your phone. More likely. You stop and you say, Where's my phone? And all of a sudden, a voice is going to come into your head saying, I put my phone on the coffee table. You're going to hear yourself say it. So when you say it out loud, you're using your sense of hearing. It's very smart. It's very easy to do. It's so simple and it works. I'm telling you, I've taught this to hundreds of people. It works. That is so good. Yeah. Milk, 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 milk. I put my exactly. phone on the coffee table. Okay. Exactly. That's good. That's and also when you lock the door, another thing, everyone's always worried, did I lock my door? Did I lock, mm-hmm. not lock my door? Because we're not paying attention to whether we locked our door or not. So when you lock that door, you're going to use your senses. So you're going to feel the key. You're going to watch your hand turn the key. You're going to listen for the click. And then you're going to say out loud, I now locked my door. So when you go, go in your car and drive away and you go, oh my gosh, I don't know if I locked my door. Oh no, should I go back? No, I heard myself say out loud, I have now locked the door. I, I remember feeling the key in my hand. I remember seeing my hand turn a lot. Right. You're using your senses. And this is extremely helpful. Okay. So I, I do want to touch on a couple things. Yeah. We talked about self-care a moment ago, and I do want to get back to that. But yeah. on the memory thing, yeah. on the memory thing, before we move along, one thing that I find that is happening to me is that when I go into a group or cross someone's path and meet somebody new, they say, hi, my name is Joe. And we start to talk and 2.2 seconds into the conversation, I'm like, okay, what did he say his name is? What did he say his name is? I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Any tips or tricks helping to remember names? So I pulled out the best part of my course and made a masterclass called You Name It. And it is just the techniques is just the techniques for names. It's a two-part master class. I teach it live and I teach it live online. Like it's not automated because I walk people through the, the exercises and the process. It's so much fun. But I'm going to give you like just the first part of it right now. Okay. And that is when you meet someone, um, again, he said his name is Joe, but where was your mind? Your mind was either thinking about where you parked your car or what you need to do next or what he's telling you, but his name went in one ear and out the other. So, um, basically this is the, one of the best tips. I mean, this is the first part. And then I go into a whole technique of what else to do, but I'm giving you the first part right now. First part is he says, his name is Joe. You repeat it back to him throughout the conversation a couple times. So Joe, where do you live? Mm -hmm. Oh, you live on Bennett street. Joe, how long have you been living on Bennett street? Oh, six years. And Joe, do you have any children that live near you? Your kids live around you? I just so said incorporate the times. name 
three times at least into your yeah. exchange. Why is it working? First of all, you're repeating it. Second of all, you're hearing yourself say it. It's the same thing as what I said before. You're paying attention. You're giving it attention and you're making the intention to remember it. So repeat it back to him a couple times. So simple. It really works. I love that. After that, after that, I go into a technique of how to connect the name to the face and what does the name mean to you? We do a whole technique and that's the you name it masterclass. But the first thing you're going to do is in the conversation, repeat the name back to them a few times. And it's okay. If you didn't catch it the first time, it's okay to say, you said your name really fast. Could you just repeat it for me? Can you just, I didn't catch your name. Say it again, Joe. And then you use the Joe a few times in the conversation. I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I think has come with age for me is when I used to forget somebody's name and I crossed paths with them again, I was just like awash with just embarrassment and shame that I could not remember the person's name. And, you know, I've kind of let that go because I find that it's such a common experience with not just me, but other people that I finally just started saying, you know what? I am so sorry. Can you remind me of your name again? Yeah. Because this is a very normal thing. A lot of people, quote unquote, forget people's names. But again, there's a really easy technique that I teach to really get you good at this. Um, I'll give you also a hint for when you introduce yourself, how Mm -hmm. to help people remember your name. So really simple. I just say, hi, I'm Lena, Lena Yudkowsky. So I repeat my first name twice before going on to my last name. I have a very long last name and I have a great way to, I teach people how to remember it. No one ever forgets my name. (laughs) So you say your name twice. Hi, I'm Lena, Lena Yudkowsky. Mm-hmm. So that gives people a chance to hear your first name twice. And I think that's, that's very good. helpful. And yeah, you know, so simple. I, I do sometimes is if I, especially if I don't quite hear the name yeah. clearly, I, I'll say, how do you spell that? Exactly. And ask people how to spell their name. And that helps me. That's excellent. Yes. That's also one of the tips I tell people. Um, and also making sure you heard it because if you didn't hear it you can't remember it right and I think you know I'm just so far gone trying to play it off (laughs) you don't have to and you don't have to and it's okay it's okay when you ask their name them to repeat their name you're showing that you care that you want to remember their name right so and and people do like to be called by their name and that's why it's an important skill but I you know with the with very easy techniques you can you really can master this So one thing I'd like you to share before we kind of talk in about self-care is what has been your experience in terms of your sandwich zone experience with your parents or your husband's parents or your family situation? So my, my personal experience. So um, we actually live very far from our parents, but they come to visit and we've been able to have them, you know, as guests over the years, which has been wonderful. And then we go visit them. You said you're, in, you're in Israel. I'm in Israel, yeah. And, and you moved from Maryland to Israel? Yeah. How did, yeah. That, how did that come to pass? Um, so my husband was studying here. He wanted to come study here as a rabbinical student. So we came, I thought it was going to be a year, but that was 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so are your parents still in, in the States? They are, and my father-in-law as well. Okay. And, um, you know, every, everyone has aged, and... Mm-hmm. We do the best we can to care for them from afar. So that means supporting the caregivers, our siblings that are there as much as we can and encouraging them and helping them and being there for them. And um, my husband's really, really wonderful. And he actually speaks to his father every night on the phone and he learns with him. They learn 
with like a biblical study, the Bible together um, every night. And that is the way that he stays in touch and it's cognitive stimulation for him. And um, and is your father-in-law cognitively impaired at this point? Or um, is this he, just- he, he, he does have dementia. He does have mm-hmm. dementia, um, but he's such, he has such a great attitude and personality that like, it's, um, it's just so fun to be around him. <laughs> he's such a special person. Uh, but I, I, my hat's off to my, you know, my in-law siblings that are taking care of him because it's not easy. Yeah. I really have a lot of admiration. I really try to respect them and help them whatever. Like when we go visit, we try to be there as much as possible. Um, I think it's not easy. It's not easy being the one who's far away either. Right. I think that's a challenge in and of itself because I'm, I'm really close to my parents. They live a mile and a half away from me. My sister is also very close but our brothers in Northern California. And it is in some ways, I suppose it's, it's easier a little bit because you're not so immersed in the day to day, but I think it's also very difficult to not be able to do things. Correct. It's hard. hard. And that's why um, my husband really tries to make trips pretty often. He often goes himself. Like, you know, you know, I stay with the kids here and he'll go himself to spend time. He's gone. Since October, he's made two trips to America, and it's quite wow. far. It's a 12-hour flight. <laughs> wow. So he's really, really dedicated in that way. Um, so we do the best we can. We all do the best we can to care for our parents the way that we can. Um, I want to add just, I want to go back one more thing about the genetics piece, because I think yeah. this is going to help people. Um, so, so we talked about trying to lay that fear and feeling empowered to take good care of ourselves, like help that we should age healthfully so that we don't have to be scared, um, you know, trying to do the best we can to prevent dementia. One, one more thing about the genetic piece, because people are very afraid of the genetic piece. As I said, it has a lot less power than we used to give it. But there's also something called epigenetics. Epigenetics means, you've heard of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if you have the gene, it doesn't have to be expressed in that way. Now, there are no guarantees in life. Neither I nor any doctor can guarantee you whether you're going to get dementia or not going to get dementia. Right. We don't know. But we do know that through lifestyle factors, the genes for disease could be not expressed, meaning right. turned off. Almost like turning them off. Yeah. It's, it's like a light switch, right? There's a light here. Uh, there's a bulb, there's electricity, and there's a light switch over there. Um, and you got to turn on the light switch for the light to go on. If you don't turn on the light switch, it's not going on. So the genet- epigenetics is about... Um, how are our genes expressed? And it has a lot, everything to do with lifestyle factors. I'll just give you one quick story. Um, there was a 77-year-old math professor who came to the neurologist and said, sort of starting to feel like my memory is going. And he was still teaching math at 77, um, which is not that old these days, but I think this happened a while ago. Um, and they, you know, they scanned his brain and they were like amazed that there was a lot, it looked like a lot of Alzheimer's disease going on there. Like they saw the tangles and the plaques, which sort of indicate Alzheimer's. And they were like, wait, wait, why does the brain look so bad, but he's doing so well. He's only starting to complain of memory issues. And what they came up with from this story is that because his brain was so active and stimulated because he was, he was a math professor. Math professors use their brains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Because he was a math professor, he had cognitive reserve. Cognitive reserve is like that buffer um, that helps you age more healthfully. 
So even though there was stuff going on in the brain, it wasn't manifesting because he was using his brain so much. And the same thing with exercise and diet. We can almost like fight those genes um, by really living a healthier lifestyle. So I find that empowering. I'm not saying it's easy because it's very empowering. It means that we do have some control. Like I said, there are no guarantees in life, but there's a lot of research on this now. There's a lot that we can affirmatively do to save it off. Exactly. And that's huge. It's not always easy because it's not easy to get rid of the sugar in our, we're so used to eating so much sugar. And it's not easy to exercise because we're lazy. <laughs> Most of us. Um, or some so of us. You know, it's funny that and we're distracted. We're busy. That distractibility yeah. is a huge piece because when, when it's, you know, I've, I've started a practice of meditation several years yeah. ago and I talked to people like, Oh, I don't have time to meditate. And I, you know, I was like, wait a second though. Yeah. How I, how I incorporated it is that I looked at how easily I could go down the yes. rabbit hole on my phone. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes or an hour mm-hmm. and, and you can be meditating in that time minutes of meditation <laughs> right, right. i can claim those 15 minutes yes and meditation is actually very good for the brain very good for the brain so that is part um, of my self-care routine so i want to just kind of yes. wrap up talking about things that we can do we talked a lot about the lifestyle changes and the eating and the exercise and you know keeping your brain active thinking of yeah. things and engaging and connecting with people. Yes. What, um, what are your go-to self-care activities? So um, it could be as simple as a hot shower or a nice long hot bath. It could be really just reading, taking time to sit on the couch and read, which is hard for me because I feel like I'm doing nothing, but really it's relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be really, a really nice massage. I have a good friend who does massage. It could be a massage. Um, it could be, you know, a trip to the mall. Sometimes a trip to the mall just makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially after two years of like not being able to go oh, to the mall. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so it's, you know, each person is going to be what's good for them. But meditation is huge. Yoga is amazing. Dancing, if you enjoy that. Um, it might be going to concerts. I mean, I could give you a whole list. It could be painting. Whatever you enjoy that gives you um, just that space to be. It might be therapy. You know, some people just um, find that therapy helps. And I'm all for that, especially if you're caregiving, you need support. So oh, get let me tell you, wherever you can. My therapist has been invaluable to me. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had three solid years, I mean, since before the pandemic, of just yeah. really intense family challenges. Yeah. And at one point I was seeing my therapist twice a week. Wow, um, good for you. It was just so hard, and I think what the the benefit of therapy for me is that I I tend to hold things in and internalize yeah. it, and not want to burden the people around yeah. me. Yeah. And so when I share and talk and vent to my therapist, there is something freeing and cathartic about talking mm-hmm. to someone who is not directly involved in my day to day life. Yeah. And so that has been really helpful. Yes. And I think that I had to, you know, we had a family history that was not sort of a fan of, of therapy. And so I had mm-hmm. to kind of shake that stigma. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and now I, I sing her praises. I call her Yoda because she's like <laughs> the wisest woman on the planet. And I leave yeah. every time I see her, I leave feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. So. That is invaluable. Like you said, really, really important. 
Um, and sleep, going back to that sleep, um, I know how much better I feel when I get a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Like that's also really, really priceless. And it's free. I always say sleep is the free secret cure to all diseases. <laughs> like, you know, at night when the kids start complaining that everything starts hurting, I'm like, when everything starts hurting, it means you need to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when you wake up in the morning, you feel better. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, it's funny that, especially during the pandemic. So my sleep went completely wacky during the pandemic. A lot of people. Uh, oh, and so many people. It was almost like, you know, you were cut off from mm-hmm. the connection with people. Yeah. And then it, I would find at the end of the night, you know, the four of us were in this house kind of just doing school, doing work, doing whatever, you know, we were trying to do to hold it all together. And then I would find myself like endlessly, mindlessly scrolling at night. Yeah. And it yeah. was almost like I would wait until everyone else kind of settled. And it was, it was kind of this thing of claiming time for myself. Like yeah. Yeah. it was, it was a distraction. Mm-hmm. It was entertainment. It was mm-hmm. a way to not think about all the worries that I had going on in my head. But mm-hmm. what it did, it created this catastrophic sleep deficit where, where mm-hmm. easily I could be up at three in the morning. Oh gosh. And, and then, you know, you get up the next day and it kind of goes yeah. in a yeah. cycle. So yeah. I think I'm still recovering from the sleep and I've recognized how important yeah. it is and how hard it is. When you, when you have a few days of poor sleep to actually earn the sleep back, you know, uh, yeah. make up for that deficit, yeah. it takes a lot. It does. It does. It does. Um, um, but I, I do think that as you talk about self-care, it kind of, the thread goes right back to where we started. Yeah. Create a pleasant day yep. in your, in your self-care stuff. If it is taking a bath that just with the little aromatherapy oil, or for me, I'm all about lighting a candle right now. Yes. Yes. I, I love the way it looks. I love the yeah. fragrance and the scent of it. And it is yeah. just something kind of a little soft point in my day that mm-hmm. brings me just a small little bit of joy. And yes. so I think yeah. that that's really, you know, to focus on those senses and to find the things that stir joy for us that we either like to see, smell, taste, yep. do, um, is a good way to think about it and remember how to create pleasant days for ourselves. So, yeah. 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 And one more thing, one more thing, um, as caregivers, just know, recognize and celebrate that you are bringing quality of life to your loved one through whatever you're doing. So on the days where you feel like I don't have enough patience for this, or I can't do this. So obviously always stay in the moment. Don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow's too challenging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just stay in the moment and just know that you are bringing quality of life to your loved one right now, right here. What will be tomorrow? We don't know. What happened yesterday is done right now. I can increase their quality of life by just being here, by creating the pleasant day. So when you say, oh my gosh, but I wasn't patient enough and I didn't do that for her or for him. Just say, you know what? I am bringing quality of life to them right now, right here. And that's going to help, you know, uh, help you not feel as guilty, help you feel like you're doing the best you can, and help you stay focused on the goal. The goal is bring quality of life, create a pleasant day. So everything, uh, how you react and all your activity, if it's if you keep that goal in mind, you're good. 
Love it. Well, I am so grateful to share this time with you and for all the wealth of information that you've shared. I think it'll be super helpful for a lot of people. I hope so. I hope so. And I really, really admire and commend you and all the other special people that are taking care of their loved ones that have memory loss, memory issues, different types of dementias. Um, and I'll just, can I throw out my email? Yeah, and my, before we go, I'd love for you to share yeah. where people can find you and find your programs so that people can um, avail themselves of all the tips and tricks you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have lots of them. <laughs> um, okay, so my website is uh, renayudkowski.com, R-E-N-A-Y-U-D-K-O-W-S-K-Y.com. And we'll put that in the show notes. And then my email is also very easy. It's rena at renayudkowski.com. R-E-N-A at renayudkowski.com. I have a Facebook group. Maybe maybe some of the links could be below this. Um, yeah, that would be great. Podcast. We have a Facebook group. That's great. I have YouTube channels with tons of free videos that are really helpful. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really feel free to email me with any questions or if I can help you. I do one-on-one memory assessments, memory coaching for people with dementia. And for the um, people without dementia, I really recommend my course or my membership. Um, the reason I don't have my course for people with dementia is because it's just too much information. But I can do a customized one-on-one memory coaching um, session sessions for people with dementia. Um, but the course is really for people that are, um, you know, earlier on and in more prevent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's really my great pleasure. to be with you. I really appreciate all that you've offered and great gems to keep in mind, to keep my mind. Yes, exactly. To keep your mind sharp for many more years. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Karen. Good luck. Thank you so much for having me. Be sure to check the show notes for this episode to find all the contact information for Rena and Memory Matters. You will also find a link to her upcoming signature course that is getting ready to launch and other offerings that she has including her re-membership, an online membership program that helps you take charge of your memory, and a ton of other resources that Rena offers. So be sure to check her out. And one last thing to remember, remember to like and follow the podcast and share it. If you found this episode or other episodes helpful, please take a minute and write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. If you need guidance on how to do that, hit me up and send me a message and I will help you out and show you how. All righty, friends, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Take good care. I know we're, we are getting ready to ease into the Thanksgiving holiday. So take a moment, do something really good for yourself and uh, remember all the things we have to be grateful for. I'm Karen Osborne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, follow the podcast, and share it with a friend. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, one of the best ways you can support me is rating and reviewing the podcast there. You can follow me on Instagram at karen.e.osborne. That's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. Or if you want to become an insider, a club sandwich member, click the link in the show notes and join my private Facebook group. Until next time, remember to add yourself to your caregiving list and take a moment today and do something that brings you joy.